Praise the Lord. Turn with me in your copy of the scripture this morning to the book of Luke. The book of Luke, chapter 10. The book of Luke, chapter 10. This morning, I want to draw our attention to a parable that's found here. It's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Parable of the Good Samaritan. In this parable, Jesus uses this story to answer a question that was given to him. There were actually two questions that were given to him by the expert of the law. The first one was this, was what must I do to inherit eternal life? We're going to get to that here in a minute. But the second question was this, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Last week, we concluded our series on courage with having the courage to love. And and today, this idea of the Good Samaritan is a kind of a continuation piggyback onto that thought process today as, as we break down this story this morning. If you would, if you're there, Luke chapter 10, begin reading in verse 25. It says, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? Jesus answered, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength, and with all of your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this, and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers, and they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. The priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Father, today I pray that you would help us as we identify with each one of the characters in this story. God, I pray that you would help us to understand what the Spirit is saying to our hearts this morning. God, because we really do need you. God, this is not just something we pray every week. It's the truth of our existence, God, that we need you. So God, speak to us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to give you a little bit of context of this story. Jesus is talking to a group that's primarily Jewish people. And this teacher, this expert in the law, he is trying to test, he's trying to 
uh, come at Jesus to make him look bad, trying to get him to say something wrong. He's trying to uh, do something to flub Jesus up in this thought process. So Jesus starts this story, and he begins this story with a man who was traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he falls into the hands of robbers, and he's beaten, and he's half dead. And you have to understand the crowd to understand the full context of this message, because in the crowd, as I said, these are pretty primarily Jewish people, and so the Jews are looking at this, and Jesus said the first person was a priest. To a Jewish person, a priest would have been someone who you would have thought, by all accounts, would have stopped. Because this was someone who was supposed to be concerned and caring for the people. When you think of a priest, when you think of a, a pastor, when you think of someone in leadership, this should have been someone who would have taken note of this man. And then you get to a Levite or um, some versions and, and different things call him a temple assistant. And you would have thought the same thing. These are people who in Jewish society are high up. They are in the upper echelon of Jewish society. And neither one of them, Jesus said, helped this man. And then Jesus says this, but a Samaritan. Now, you probably, we just read through right that and you're just like, ooh, yeah, a Samaritan. I know the story. Good Samaritan, that's awesome. Can I tell you, when Jesus told that story, everybody in that circle would have went, what? Huh? A good, is there such a thing as a good Samaritan? They probably would have asked themselves. Is there such a thing as somebody who, from Samaria, can anything good come from Samaria? That's what they would have been saying. Samaritan would have done this because, you see, Samaritans and Jews did not get along. At all. At all. They would constantly be butting heads together. And so Jesus uses a shock factor, if you will, and throws this in there. In who is your neighbor? It's the one who you think you can't get along with. The one who goes the extra mile. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. It's the one who goes the extra mile to touch someone's life. Even if. We don't get, see eye to eye on everything. Even if things around us seem to be, people around us seem to be saying, you shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. You shouldn't be associating with that individual. But they show love and compassion even in the midst of it. There are four individuals that I want us to talk about, four characters in this story that I want us to hit on today. The first one, as you see on the screen, is it's the expert in the law. This guy would have been well-versed in Scripture. Matter of fact, he probably would have had the first five books of the Bible memorized. He would have had Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, which in Hebrew times, that was called the Torah. There was also another name, another two-cent name for you is Pentateuch. They would have had that part of scripture completely memorized. An expert in the law would have had that done. Here's a guy who it would have been common practice for him to have achieved this title. This was not just something that was randomly given. He worked hard to become this kind in this position. 
And he comes to Jesus, I believe, to test him in his knowledge of the law. And he tests him by asking him the question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I'm going to be honest. Jesus is the coolest, smoothest dude that ever lived. And he recognizes what this guy's doing. And so what's he do? If They used to teach us to kind of do this when, when someone's asking you a question, you convert it with another question, right? So he knows that this guy is an expert in the law, so what's his answer? Well, what's written in the law, right? You Mr. Know-it-all, Mr. Smarty Pants. What's written in the law? What does, how do you read it? And he comes up with the right answer. Love God with all of your heart, soul, mind, strength. Love your neighbors yourself. And that's awesome. And then he tries to justify himself, tries to get that extra little it's of oomph in, and he says, well, who is my neighbor? You see, for the people who are in this group, who, are in, who associate with this guy in the story, these are folks who compassion is an issue of debate. They were bothered. The experts in the law, they were bothered by Jesus. He ate with sinners. He hung out with sinners. And that process didn't make any sense to them. So instead of opening their heart and allowing God to change them, instead of opening up their mind and their, and their thought process and allowing God to speak into it, they decided that they would choose that as a debate instead of being open to allow God to speak to their heart. Can I tell you that this thought process is still happening today? People who will criticize a method but never really get involved to help. This attitude is very detrimental to the kingdom of God. They try to create doubt. They create disunity. They become negative in nature and always seem to have some kind of issue, some kind of problem. Maybe it looks like this. Well, you should have done it that way. Or, why are you doing that? Or, well, we've never done it that way before. And instead of trying to lend a hand to help, instead of trying to be part of the solution, instead of part of the issue, they are content with stirring up the issue. You all know people like that. Because you're all looking at me like, yeah. Instead of getting involved in seeing why or even doing anything about it, they're content to criticize, they're content to mock and remain distant. And when the church is full of those kind of people, you'll see a church start to die. Why? Because nothing gets done. Nothing ever happens. And nobody, if anybody has an idea to try to do something, these people are always the first one in line to say, that's crazy. That'll never happen. That could never take place. Because you see, the people like this, the experts in the law type people, they have a hard time walking by faith. Because they can't perceive it. They can't, they can't wrap their mind around it. And so if it's something they can't understand, then they just kind of say, okay, whatever. I don't know why you're doing it that way. I don't know why that this is happening. And instead of jumping in to have a heart change, 
They're content to stay back in the criticized. The second group of characters in this story is this. It's the robbers. The robbers. These people took advantage of a situation for their own good. Here's a man. He's walking by himself. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. He's traveling alone. And so these guys decide that they're going to do this. They're going to beat him up. They're going to take all of his clothes. And they're going to leave him. But they're not going to kill him. They have a little bit of, just a a little bit of morality. We're not going to kill him. We're just going to leave him half dead. Leave him half dead. We must be on our guard for people who try to take advantage of a situation when we are vulnerable. Talk about the robbers in that case. Last week, we talked about this idea of compassion and love, that love is selfless. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, especially verses 4 through 9, you will see the characteristic of what love looks like. To practice those and to do those correctly, we have to have this idea that love is selfless. If I'm going to keep no record of wrongs, then I can't be worried about what people do or say about me. I must love them anyway. If I'm to be patient and kind, if I'm not going to envy, if I'm not going to boast, if I'm not going to be proud, because you see, pride says it's all about me, then I must be selfless. If I'm not going to dishonor others, if I'm not going to be easily angered, If I'm not going to get happy when bad things happen to people who hurt me, I think sometimes that's fun, don't you? We do that. That person hurt me. Go get them, God. (laughs) Teach you. Go get them. And and, and sometimes, I don't know if you've ever, in my earlier days when I was a little bit young in the faith, when those kind of things would happen, I'd be like, God, just get them. Lightning from heaven, whatever, God, you got to do. Just get them. Right? But that's not a selfless kind of love. In fact, there's one part of that text in 1 Corinthians 13 that says love is not self-seeking. A lot of times we look at it this way. If people love me, oh, that's so awesome. Because we love being in circles where people love us. I love being in, around people who are encouraging to me. I love being around people who, who I know, man, they, if, if we're going to battle, I know they're arm in arm. I know they're right with me. And we're just, if I'm in the midst of a difficult season, I know I can run to them. They're going to throw their arms around me. They're going to say, I'm with you. We're going to fight. We're going to do this together. Man, we can, yeah. Right? We love those people. But it's the people who don't do that. The people who beat us up with words and with action. The people who make you feel like you're half dead and on the side of the road. We're to love those people too. That's selfless. That type of love is often hard to do. It's human nature to want to put safeguards up against such robbers. (laughs) you do that in your home, right? You do that in your home. If you don't do that in your home, why do you lock your doors? 
you put safeguards up, right? Now, in our home, we put doors and deadbolts, and then we have a slide thing. <laughs> Man, you ain't getting in without me knowing it. We do that. But the problem is, when we carry that mentality into our Christian life, and we put safeguards around everything, eventually what you'll find is that very, 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 very few people are allowed in. And you're missing out on a way that you can touch the lives of people and show compassion with people. And in the midst of your having safeguards, nobody's going to get to me. That's exactly what happens. Nobody gets to you. And you have no way of showing love to anybody else. The next group in this story is the priest and the temple assistant or the priest and the Levite. These guys in this story, they want to avoid this situation altogether. They don't want any part of this guy on the side of the road that's half dead, bleeding, bleeding, bruised, beat up. They don't want any part of this. You see, it was common practice for priests to be invited to Jerusalem, to the temple. And when they were invited to Jerusalem, to the temple, they would serve in the temple. And then what they would do is they would have like a period of time where they would serve, and then they would turn around and they'd go back to where they lived. And so these guys, it was common practice and common knowledge when Jesus said that there were priests coming up on that road toward Jerusalem when they would know, hey, these guys are traveling with a purpose. They are traveling with an agenda. And their agenda was to make it to the temple. It was to make it to a place where, man, they they would be the big shots in the temple for the week. And they would make that journey, but the key to them doing that was the fact that they had to be ceremonially clean. And so what this story meant for them was if they stopped to help this guy that was bleeding and bruised and beaten and half dead on the side of the road, the minute they touched him, they would become unclean. And so this did not fit into their agenda. They were more concerned about their agenda than they were about God's agenda. And if they touched him, it would forfeit their right to work in Jerusalem. It would mean that in order to help and show compassion, they would have to give up what they wanted to do. Oftentimes, we, when people come to Christ, they're found in the middle of this road, beaten, bruised, in a terrible place. They're vulnerable, and it takes a sacrifice to make investments into those type of people. If you haven't figured it out yet, people are messy. Not just your kids. I remember when, we, when our kids turned one, we put the birthday cake in front of them and said, have at it. And I remember, I, I think it was Cameron, the first one, he, he kind of poked at it. Well, you know, I'm not real sure about this. 
But then all of a sudden, we just kind of took a handful and kind of... And then all of a sudden, he was like, oh, that's allowed? Woof! And by the time we got done, it's almost you had to take him outside and hose him off because it was just messy. Well, people are messy. Stop for a minute and think about your own life. You have either been in a mess, seen a mess, lived with a mess, no looking around, or you are a mess. And I want you to think of the person that made an investment in your life. Because every one of us was a mess before we met Christ. Every one of us. I think of the people in my life that made investments into this messy guy. And because they did, and they were the ones who came alongside and bandaged and healed and and lifted and took me, I thank God because... I am who I am today. I'm where I am today with my walk with God because of those kind of people. We have to be willing to make investments and nurse people to health in Christ. And to do that, we're going to have to get messy because it's a messy job. Sometimes we want them to fit into our agenda. We want them to fit in our calendar. But can I tell you, oftentimes that does not happen. We want them to fit into our mold. And you can, yeah, I'll get involved. You like doing this? That's awesome. In our mold. But we're faced a lot of times with the same decision as these, this priest and this Levite. We're faced with the decision, do we forfeit our agenda for the master's agenda? Do I forfeit my agenda for God's agenda? Am I going to continue to always look at people through my eyes? Or am I going to see them through God's eyes? That was what happened in this, in this situation. The only way that they could see this guy was through their eyes. They never once stopped to look at him through God's. The final character in the story is obvious. It's the Good Samaritan. This is the one who gets involved personally. How many of you know there's a difference between seeing a need and feeling a need? There's a difference between seeing a need and feeling a need. We are moved by stories of sacrifice. We're moved by stories of love. We tend to give more, pray more, feel more when those things are presented to us. See, in reality, God gave us this capacity to have compassion. If you were to go all the way back into Genesis chapter 1, you would find that God created us how? In his own image. And if we're created in the image and likeness of God, God is love. And so inside of me is the capacity for compassion. And we are moved by stories that lead us that way. We are feeling kind of people. We're moved that way. When we become involved and that compassion stirs us to action, that's when the kingdom of God is moved forward. But as long as that just becomes intentions, we're going to talk about that here in a minute, but if those thoughts and those feelings only drive us to have good intentions, nothing ever happens. Because with just good intentions, there's no action with good intentions. Do you follow me? 
Real compassion will always cost you something. Real compassion will always cost you something. If this man only had good intentions, nobody would have ever remembered him. Nobody would have ever thought anything about this. He needed action to show compassion. We have a lot of good intentions, right? I mean, we make them every new year, don't we? We have a lot of good intentions. I'm going to quit eating ding-dongs and sucking on Pepsi every, right? We all make, we all have things with good intentions, and we make them every, usually on a regular basis. But if those intentions are not followed by action, nothing ever takes place. Oh, I meant to do that. Yeah, it was on my mind, and I was going to, but you never did. You get a feeling that you should go and take your neighbor dinner. Or maybe you get a feeling that you should go and tell that person in a restaurant that you're praying for them, even though you don't even know them or what they have need of. You get that feeling inside of you from the Holy Spirit that you should give to that individual on the street. And I could take scenarios and we could go on and on and on and on with different ones that maybe you've felt or you've had good intentions about, but you never acted on it. The difference between them being in your head as intentions and bringing them to fruition is your intentionality to act. There's a side note here. If you were to go and Google, everybody familiar with Google? If you're familiar to go and Google, Good Samaritan, you'll have over 2 million hits. And most of those 2 million hits refer to a hospital. They refer to a goodwill organization. They refer to somebody dealing with someone with compassion, with acts of compassion. Could you imagine if this story read differently? That's why we think of Good Samaritan. We think of Good Samaritan. We think of somebody who acted. They did something with compassion. But compassion cost this Samaritan. He used his own oil and wine. That would have been a cost. He used his own bandages to bandage this guy up. He took this guy and he put him on his donkey and he hoofed it. Instead of riding while he rode on his donkey back to town. He got to the inn. And as you read that story, there might be something that you missed. He stays with him for the night. He stayed with him. He brought him to the inn and took care of him. And the Bible says the next day he went to the innkeeper. He took care of him throughout the night. Then he asked this innkeeper, he's going to give him to, he's going to pay him two denarii. That would be two days wages. He's going to give up two days wages to this guy to help him. Then he's going to go the extra mile and say, listen, I want you to create me an account. And whenever this guy, if, if he needs more stuff, if he needs more money, if there's more expense involved, you let me know and I will pay for whatever it is that it costs because I'm invested. And I'm not just going to have good intentions. I'm going to act on those intentions. 
there's always a cost to compassion because true love is selfless. Jesus said, consider the cost of being a disciple. You know the cool thing about God? Salvation is free, man. When I was a mess and I came to Christ, he welcomed me with open arms. Salvation was mine. It was accessible. All I had to do was repent of my sin. And he offered, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins, the Bible says, and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Salvation's free. But there's another word that comes after salvation that we don't like to discuss or talk about. It's called discipleship. Because you see, discipleship costs you everything. It costs you everything. Jesus said this, consider the cost of being a disciple because it's going to cost you everything. I was at a missions um, event this past week on Friday, and I heard this story, and it moved my heart, and it fit right in with what we want to share today. This story of a man by the name of Ahmed. Ahmed lived in northern Sudan. Ahmed gave his heart to the Lord. He was so excited, gave his heart to Jesus, and in that excitement, you know what he did? He started going to his friends. Hey, let me tell you about what I found. How many of you know what the Sudan is? It's a Muslim, Islamic country. That's against the law to do what he's doing. He's telling his friends about Jesus. He's telling them about the difference that Jesus has made in his life. And the government officials here, and they arrest him, and they beat him. They give him a beating. He's bruised. He's beaten. And they say, never do this again. Don't do this again. Walks out of the prison. Goes out and shares about Jesus. He's going out and he's telling people, hey, let me tell you about what Jesus has done in my life. The government officials here. This time was a little different. They took him into this inner part of what could be considered a prison. And this time, they didn't just beat them with fists. They whipped him with chains and, and beat him to a pulp and to the place where he was hardly recognizable. Blood pouring from this guy. And they told him, they said, you should never, ever, preach about that name again. He heals up from his wounds and he goes out and what's he do? He shares Jesus. He shares Jesus. This time they catch him and they handcuff him and they chain him to one of their dark tanks. They strip off all of his clothes He's laying there on that tank, stark naked. And they drive that tank out into the middle of the Sahara Desert. And as they're driving this tank in the midst of 100 to 120 degree temperature, Ahmed is beginning to literally cook 
on this tank. His skin is becoming to the place where you can hear it sizzle. They stop the tank in the middle of the desert and they leave it out there for the entire day. And Ahmed is out there chained to that tank with his back laid up against that dark tank for the entire day. At the end of the day, the guards bring him back and they drive that tank to the middle of town with everyone looking around. They bring the whole village in. And as they go to take Ahmed off of the tank, it is just as if his skin peels off because it's attached to that tank. And they take this man and they throw him into the middle of the square. And they say, this is what will happen if you proclaim the name of Jesus. To make an example of him. Ahmed, by himself, because nobody wanted to associate with what you've just seen, crawls himself home. The missionary stops by his house a couple of months later. He's still got scars. He's still in a place of very much weakness. And the missionary comes to his house and he begins to talk with Ahmed. And they ask him this question, Ahmed, what are you going to do? And Ahmed says, as soon as I'm able, I will proclaim the name of Jesus until they kill me. Why? Why does he do that? Because there's a compassion that he has. He can't sit back on the sideline. He can't walk by and just because everybody else says their agenda is what you need to do. He can't just sit and do nothing while people around him die and go to hell. He's got to do something. Good intentions never accomplish anything for the kingdom. It's only when we act on what the Spirit of God is speaking to our heart. That's when lives are changed. That's when messy people come to Christ. That's when the good Samaritan story becomes alive in us. Would you bow your head? Father, I thank you today. I thank you today that you saved me from the mess that I was in. I'm thankful today that there are people, God, there are even those in this very room who have considered the cost of being a disciple and they are following you, God. I thank you for stories like Ahmed that I've decided to follow Jesus with no turning back. And even though none would go with me, still I will follow. And Ahmed is making a difference in the lives of Islamic people in northern Sudan because of his sacrifice and his commitment to you. Holy Spirit, would you speak to us today. 
your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed and you're here this morning and you've not made that decision to follow Christ. As I said earlier, salvation is free. Salvation is free, man. God may never call you to go through the things and the struggles that Ahmed went through. That may not be part of your journey. But the cost of discipleship is still the same. But can I tell you this? From somebody who's on the other side of that fence when, see, my life was a mess. People around this room, they'll tell you their life was a mess. But man, when I found Jesus, when I found the Lord, he took me in. And today you're here in your life. You're not serving the Lord. And you want to. You're here this morning. You say, Pastor, would you please, please pray for me? I want to make a decision to follow Jesus. If that's you, would you slip your hand up? We won't pray with you this morning. Is there someone here today? Thank you. Praise you, God. Praise you, Lord. you pray this prayer with me today across the sanctuary? Dear Jesus, I thank you that you are in the business of saving lives. And today, I come to you. Forgive me of my sin. I repent. I want to be more like you. Thank you for dying for me. Help me to live for you. In Jesus' name, amen. The question I have for the rest of us is this today. Which character do you identify with? Which character do you identify with? Because see, every one of us in this room, we identify with one of these four the expert of the law who's quick to criticize, but they don't really want to do anything. They want to, don't want to make an impact. They really don't want to make any difference. The robber who takes advantage of people and takes advantage of situations, or maybe the priest and the temple assistant, the Levite, you're only concerned with your agenda. You're only concerned, you're not really wanting to impact the lives of others as long as it's inconvenient for you. or you're the good Samaritan willing to pay the cost. So this morning as we close our time together in prayer, I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to speak to your heart. And as you begin to do some self-examination and some let the Holy Spirit begin to show you some things, I want you to begin to pray. If you become one of those other folks, one of those experts of the law who criticize or one of those robbers who take advantage of people or one of those priests and or, or Levites that man you're only as long as it's not a mess as long as it doesn't affect who I am and what I do if your Holy Spirit speaking to you about one of those then I would ask you to please repent 
because those attitudes are not 1 Corinthians 13 attitudes that God says we should have. Maybe you're here today and you say, well, man, I kind of, I, I, I identify with the Good Samaritan. Then I would challenge you with this thought. There may be a time when God asks you to give up because it's going to cost. And you need to affirm to the Lord and say, God, I'm willing. Use me. So I'm going to invite you to stand across this sanctuary today. I'm going to pray a prayer, then we're going to sing a song. In the middle of this song, this is not a song for you to sing with us. This is a song for the Spirit of God to speak and for you to have a moment with Christ today as we sing this chorus. Father, today I pray that you would speak into our hearts, Holy Spirit, right now. Put the microscope on us that we could see what you have, who we are, and who we identify with. In Jesus' name. Hallelujah. And now let the Holy Spirit speak to your heart.